What's happening in the canine industry? For all the latest news, views and expert opinions, stay right here for the canine paradigm. You'll hear from industry leaders, experts, doyens of the industry, learned colleagues, movers and shakers, and the odd Randy guest. Get the latest insights and expert advice from both here and abroad from the people in the know. Now, here are your hosts, Glenn Cook and Pat Stewart. And I'm Lofty Fulton, and I'm out of here. Hey, Glenn. Yes. I figured out why Jason has a website. Why is that? He's not exactly the easiest bloke to talk to. Well, let's try that. Hello. Can I speak to uh, Jason Buffhead Furman, please? Uh, what are you doing, you? <laughs> well, you heard it here, folks. That's the kind of treatment you'll get if you actually dial Jason from Mindrick Dog Clip. So what you need to do if you want any leashes, tugs, harnesses, balls, reward toys, canine fitness and conditioning equipment, Herm Springer things, anything like that, head to Einswick. Dogquip.com. That's E I N Z W E C K.com because you do That's not want to have to special. talk to this guy. Glenn, <laughs> <laughs> what are you doing? I'm enjoying a delicious treat from Bright's Bites. The dog training treats? The same. I've heard that Bright's Bites are not just healthy and nutritious for dogs, but they're so delicious, they're actually a very motivational form of training. They are indeed. We've tested and tried them on site and they work just great. Well, how did you get a hold of those? Did you purchase them off of a website? I went to dogsquadcanineservices.com.au. That's where people should go to get themselves some Bright's Bites, healthy, nutritious, but also highly motivational dog training treats. Get them in your dog, y'all. Welcome back to the Canine Paradigm. I'm your host, Pat Stewart. I'm joined in our little IACP studio by my co-host, Glenn Cook. And today, we are interviewing Miss Heather Beck. Hello. Hi, Heather. How are you doing? I'm doing good. I'm a little fuzzy. Last night was a lot of fun. Last so. night was a hell of a lot of fun. <laughs> yeah. So we should point out, it's currently the day after the IACP conference. <laughs> yep. yes. Gala was last night. And we're all yeah. a bit shady. It's early yeah. morning. Mm. Yeah, it's good. But uh, wow, my heart's full this morning. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It's been a great conference, hasn't it? Yeah, I've enjoyed every minute of it. And yeah. This is my, uh, I honestly can't remember if it's my 13th or 14th. Yep. So it's so been a lot. Being that you're a conference veteran, mm-hmm. which has been your favorite of all time. I, I would have to say this conference. Really? I mean, yeah. And I really just enjoy every year just watching it grow and watching the people come. I think this year the, the best thing was just all the new people, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, like a third of the room the first day was asked to stand up if it was their first conference and it was, I, I literally had tears in my eyes because I was just like, oh, you know. And of course, you know, the Martin passing away, it's uh, yeah. It's hard to say this is my favorite um, because he's not here, but I can easily say that uh, it makes me super happy and proud because here or not, he, I just know that this is something that he would have wanted. So mm. it's fantastic. Yeah, that was a tough watch for a lot of people who were near and dear to Martin Dealey. Yeah. It's also sad, I've said this before, and I maintain this stance, is that I tend to find out more about people from their eulogies than I do about them in real life. Mm-hmm. I think it's terrible. I think it's a sad thing that I've just found out all these amazing things about Martin's past. 
yeah. um, that I never really knew before. But I, look, I didn't really know Martin Dealey all that right. well. I've only spoken to him on a, on several occasions when I've been at conference. Yeah. Um, and last year in St. Pete's, I got to sit down with him for about an hour and have a good chat with him. And he was just a delightful man. Yeah. Well, you got a taste, you know, and that's what, you know, a lot of us that were really close with Martin. I mean, he was my dog father and my mentor, yep. you know, so I spent a lot of time with Martin. I got to do a lot of uh, things with Martin. I was very fortunate to be able to have that opportunity. And um, last year uh, we taught a workshop together, which is something that, you know, for somebody who has a mentor like Martin Dealey, like to actually teach a workshop together hand in hand with your mentor is I think one of the one of the most highly satisfying parts of um, your mentor being proud of you and I knew that that was something that he uh, that he conveyed to a lot of people you know how proud he was of me and you know I remember the first time I ever trained a dog in front of him I cried because <laughs> I didn't know anything you know I really yeah. I don't I, I really do not I, I know what I know a lot about dogs mm. um, which I specialize just a lot more in kind of behavioral stuff but I never I never once finished an obedience class you guys are probably going to kill me for that but I never, <laughs> I never once finished obedience class you know and I just kind of worked a lot with dogs just getting to know dogs and every time I took them to an obedience class I'm like this does not help chopper who wants to kill dogs like it was just not fixing it you know mm-hmm. just what I was the classes I was going to. So the first time I went to uh, one of Martin's workshop, it was him and Mark Goldberg. And uh, we, you know, go out in the field. It's e-collar. The first time I'm learning how to use e-collar. And we go out in the field and, and I go to take a step forward. <laughs> what do you think I did? I stepped forward with my right foot. <laughs> <laughs> and so, you know, obviously I'm like, well, that's not a problem. Martin's like, you really know nothing about obedience. And I was like, <laughs> <laughs> and so I just kind of like held it together, you know, cause it was the first time I'd actually ever even like trained in front of trainers, you know? And mm. I was like, oh my gosh, this is nerve wracking. And so, uh, you know, so I kind of walked away and I was like, <laughs> like trying to keep it together, you know? <laughs> but, but yeah, that was, that was the first time. And, you know, I got better after that, but I, I spent a lot of time with Martin. And I was actually one of the people that he allowed to actually teach e-touch. Like I am e-touch certified. So I was doing workshops, teaching e-collar to other trainers and I would help him and Mark when they were doing their workshops as well. Cool. Yeah. Let's wind back a little bit. Uh, How did you get into training dogs? Well, I actually started in um, shelters and rescues. So I moved out to Utah from Wisconsin um, when I was 17. I was actually a competitive mogul skier. I don't know if anyone actually knows what that is anymore. Moguls is the hills, right? Yes, the yeah. Hills, yeah. So I, I was a competitive mogul skier and the Olympics was in uh, Utah in 2002. So I was on my on my path to be an Olympic uh, mogul skier. And so being in Utah was a place to be. So mm-hmm. I moved out in 1995, but I worked with horses growing up. Um, I worked on a, at a summer camp. I worked at a ranch. Um, I never had a dog growing up and any dog that we actually had, I lived on a road that was kind of like that uh, movie Pet Cemetery. Mm-hmm. So they never lasted long. It was <laughs> like, they get out the doors like, oh, here comes a semi, Never mind. Sorry, whatever your name was. I can't even remember. So uh, dogs just weren't a part of my life growing up. And then uh, once I moved out to Utah, I just saw an ad in the paper. I know that's weird, but that happens still. Mm-hmm. So I saw an ad in the paper and it ended up just being for, to volunteer with this uh, pet adoption for the weekend. So I went, I was like, wow, this is cool. So then I brought home my first two foster dogs, which they were these Basset Hound St. Bernard mixes. 
So they were like four feet long by like a foot tall and they were, <laughs> but, they, but they were beasts. So I ended up um, taking them home my first night. I knew nothing. Like I had adopted a dog, but you know, he was, you know, he was good. He was three years old. I never really had to do anything with them. So I brought them home and they just ravaged my house. Like they were all over. It was like, like four foot long slinkies, like running over everything. And they were short, but they were tall enough that they could jump onto every counter in my house. And one of them ran across my sectional couch and pissed all the way along all sections <laughs> of the couch. And I was like, Hmm, okay, this isn't going very well. And, uh, you know, but I didn't know, I just had them overnight. And then it was in the morning I went to go feed them and I like laid down food, you know, I just put food down and my dog went after one of them and it was a pretty big bloodbath. It was, wow. it was, and I, my dog at the time was my first dog. His name was beast. Um, and he was a Sharpe German shepherd mix. Right. Um, he looked like a giant dingo, but yeah, he went after this dog pretty good. So I learned my first lesson about dog fight. You really enjoy your exotic breed mixes, don't I you? I do. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I do. Yeah. And everyone thought he looked like a hundred pound chihuahua. So I went with that and I was like, yeah, it's a, it's <laughs> he's a, a giant chihuahua. <laughs> he's a giant chihuahua. And he had teeth that stuck out in like every direction. So it's like one's up, one's down, everything's all over the place. So he, uh, he was quite an interesting dog, but that was my first, uh, my first dog, my like heart dog. I think I've had about 30 dogs since then. Mm -hmm. So he was good, but yeah, I just, I started in rescue and then, uh, I got super burnt out on that, but I ran for many years. I, uh, I worked as an animal control officer. I worked and uh, ran my own large breed and pit bull rescue. This is before it was popular to be like, you know, the stay at home mom that like mm -hmm. loves, loves pit bulls. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you know, so I, Here you know, comes the hate mail. I know here it comes. Yeah. Wait, I'll make sure you have all my contact info. Um, you know, but it just, it, it's changed so much, you know, since then. And I, I just got so burnt out on that. And then I, I just started, uh, starting to think about what other options I had because it wasn't making money, you know? I mean, I was doing about 75 adoptions a month. So that's a that's pretty high stats, number. Yeah. yeah. But I still just couldn't keep up with all the expenses. And I just like, man, there just has to be a better way. And so um, I just kind of started transferring into training and going to different workshops and uh, training with other people. And that just kind of led me right into training. And I've been doing that ever since. And it's very, very satisfying. I talk about it a lot that I when I was working in rescue, um, I was standing at the top, you know, the bottom of the waterfall. And now when I'm doing what I'm doing, I'm standing at the top, you know, I get to keep dogs in homes before they go to, yeah. you know, the shelter. And to me, that's, it's more gratifying, um, doing adoptions. It was really, um, I, I would have these dogs pretty well to go. I mean, that was, that was how, I mean, I was fostering all these dogs and you know, hundreds of dogs in my home and sending them home and talking about it. At the time I actually did figure out how to use a prong collar on accident. You know, it wasn't, I was like, Oh, this makes dogs stop pulling. Oh, mm -hmm. I just go this way. And the dog follows me. Okay, great. I go this way. Oh, the dog follows me. Hey, look, it doesn't want to pull anymore. So, so I would send a lot of dogs home on prong and, you know, and crate trained and all that stuff. And people just never followed through, mm. you know? So it was very frustrating. So mm. then it was like, you know, I'd get a dog back three years later and the dog's like just a total train wreck. And I'm like, wow, you adopted this dog when he was six months old. What did you do? You know? So it was very frustrating. So once I moved into training, I was like, oh, wait, people are going to pay me for this and they're actually going to listen to what I'm telling them. It's yeah. amazing. So, yeah. So then just, I've been doing that for a lot of years now and I just love it. I mean, I've, I've really never known another career than being around dogs and working with dogs and being in the dog industry. So it's, uh, it's, it's been good. And I'm glad I made the change because I don't think anyone can last that long in rescue, mm -hmm. you know, just doesn't work. You know, we talked about it a fair bit on here that I think you have to go where your passion is in yep. dogs and not be corralled into the, the wrong area because I think that's how so many people get burnout. Because mm. some yeah. people are built for rescue and they don't get burnout. Right. They can absorb all that, mm -hmm. but others are not, you know, and yeah. it, I think you're dead right. If you're, 
if you think that you're getting your best achievement, like your best contribution is through training and, and charging people and not mm. like trying to just rehome the sad cases, right. then that's what you got to do. And, yeah. and let other people like, God bless them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. God bless them right. trying to do that. Yeah. But that's not the path. Like that's not where you can help. You might be able to help the shit out of some dogs for six months mm-hmm. and then never again. Right. Or yeah. you can do what you're doing and through your center, what you'd have hundreds and hundreds of dogs. Thousands. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So yeah. your contribution to the overall well-being of dogs mm-hmm. is so much greater in what you're doing. Yeah. And it's, and I, you know, I mean, I feel like it's just been such an evolution, but it's, uh, it, it just, it's the, the happy side of things, mm-hmm. you know, like when people come and work with me for shadow programs and workshops and stuff, I'm like, yeah, this is like the feel good side of, of this, you know, mm-hmm. and I get a lot of people that come in that are, you know, working in shelters and rescues and I, I give as much help and advice as I can, but a lot of them do end up transferring into training, you know, and kind of limiting some of the rescue side, but there are, I mean, everybody who's involved in rescue. I mean, God bless you. Cause it's, it's a very, very hard road. Um, you know, especially depending on the type of rescue you're working with or even the shelter you're working at. So it's a, it's a lot of thankless work, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> you exactly. know, so it's uh, so it's really hard. So if you're out there and you're adopting and, you know, say thank you to those people because yeah. they really, it they is. really it's do. Very hard right. And it's yeah. a special type of person that can survive doing absolutely. that. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Hey, yeah. so let's talk about now it's gone from I'm um, I'm a lady who's decided to start training dogs instead of working rescue to I own a giant center that has 40 employees <laughs> yeah that's a big jump yeah I make this shit look easy um, it, uh, <laughs> no it, it's uh, it, it naturally just kind of kept growing and kept growing you know I started um, I moved into my new center I think it's been 11 years now which was a 10,000 square foot building I moved from a 3600 square foot building where I started doing socials. That's the first reason I ever got a a space that I had indoor. I wanted to do socials. So then uh, I bought that building and I was like, oh man, I'm never going to outgrow this. It's going to be great. And then, you know, it was me and then one person and then two people, five people. And um, now I basically, I have like an entire canine compound. So we have, I have um, 30,000 indoor square feet inside of my parking lot. So I own two 10,000 square foot building. And then there's a building in the back where I rent another 10,000 square feet and that's a 25,000 square foot building. So I have, I have access to most of that and the yards and, and all of that, but it's, it's just been a progression, you know, and it's, and we offer training, boarding, daycare, and the programs that we offer are very unique. So, I mean, I may have, you know, a lot of trainers around me. I mean, there's, I don't know if you met a lot of the Utah people here. Mm -hmm. Um, We actually have a really great organization of Utah trainers, but but I offer very unique programs. So it's, uh, so we get a lot of draw. We, you know, are socializing. I feel social dogs are happy dogs and mm-hmm. that's what we do. So we offer that for clients with their dogs. We also offer that with out their dogs, but just having all that space, but it's, uh, it's been a lot. I mean, I definitely kind of feel like I have my, uh, my master's in business because I've, you know, had a lot of struggles and I've made a lot of failures and, learned a lot. I haven't always been the bo- the, you know, best boss, but I try and I keep learning. So let's talk a little bit more about that because it's mm-hmm. not really a side that we talk a lot about because mm-hmm. uh, we're talking to people who are usually sole traders and, sure. you know, doing their <laughs> we're own total thing. control freaks. It's like impossible to yeah. hire people. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, for anybody who's thinking about going the next level, yeah. you know, like coming out of being a sole trader and more into a business, yeah. how did you find that transition? 
I actually didn't find it real hard because I just got to a point where I knew like working in rescue, honestly, I knew that I was getting burnt out mm. and I knew that I had to make that next step. And so bringing somebody on just to help with some of the easier tasks and things that I could delegate was really, was really a no brainer. So that was really simple. These days when people ask me about advice, you know, like, Hey, I, I you know, I'm really getting tired. I'm super getting burnt out. And, you know, a lot of times people are thinking about hiring a trainer and I tell them, no, hire somebody to answer your phones, hire somebody to answer your emails. And I will tell you, do you know how many dog trainers hold on to that? Like with death mm. grip claws, yeah. you know, because, well, but I'm the only one. I'm like, well, how many times have you called the doctor's office and talk to the doctor to schedule? Mm -hmm. No, delegate the easy things, you know, free yourself up, you know, hire bookkeepers and accountants, things that can actually free up your time to do the things that you're really good at because that it's all stuff that somebody can be easily trained to do. And, mm. and we do that. So, you know, going back then I was hiring basically kennel techs and then training them up into, into trainers. So, I mean, it's about a year and a half process for somebody to go from like a kennel tech to a trainer um, in our facility, but there's progression on all levels. Like you could be a kennel tech, you could be a very high end kennel tech making the same pay as one of our trainers. Mm. So I've learned a lot about how to pay people properly. We offer tons of benefits. I'm probably one of the only businesses out there, dog training businesses that actually thinks about that kind of stuff. Like we offer health insurance, life insurance, uh, 401k, all of that stuff. But it, it just came along with doing this long enough to go, how do I keep people happy mm. um, and in this? Because a lot of times it's not the pay. People like to work with dogs, mm -hmm. but um, you know, it's, it is hard for people to actually take on that that manager role, but it definitely needs to be more leadership role than boss. Cause I see a lot of people, they are bosses and they're horrible to their people, you know, and you can't do that. You got to treat them like clients and act like a mentor. Mm, that's an interesting one. Act like a mentor mm. to your staff as well, right? Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. I think that behoves you, like when your, your name is the business essentially, yeah. I think that's what's hard with a lot of dog trainers is you are the brand. Right. And then from a client's point of view, they get, they call Canon Lifeline, they want to get Heather back and then someone else turns up. Right. And, and so there's that. Well, know. and I will tell you, that was something that was a, just a little bit of a struggle. Um, I've never had a business card with my name on it. My brand has always been my brand. You know, I do have obviously my personal brand too, but that's more closer to the workshops and the shadow programs that I teach. Right. Everything locally is Canine Lifeline, right, okay. you know, so it doesn't quite matter. I mean, anyone shows up, they're not going to be disappointed to work with me because we set such high standards. They're mm -hmm. going to be getting the same quality of training, you know, or daycare or boarding, whatever they're doing with us with whoever they're dealing with. So, yeah. I mean, we just have high standards and I make sure that everybody, you know, adheres to that. And we have a, an amazing culture and vibe. I mean, I brought, um, I think eight people with me this time. So, wow. you know, but it's, yeah, we have a, we have an amazing culture and vibe. So I think that's what draws a lot of people into our environment too, is they just, they just like who we are and, and who we are as a group of canine lifelines. So, mm -hmm. So yeah, that's so, hard. <laughs> something that we notice a little bit about trainers in America that, well, I guess this is worldwide, but here for sure is they kind of have their shtick, right? They've got their thing. <laughs> this is my yeah, thing, yeah, right? My thing. And your thing yeah. is the transitional leash. Yeah. So tell us how, like, how did that come to be? How did you, you created that, you designed yeah. that, you mm -hmm. Um, yeah. Do you patent? Have you pat a patent yes, on that? Yes. Yeah. yeah okay. yep, yes. Yes. Yeah. It's, thank God. It's been five years. Yes. Thank yeah. God. Yeah. That just happened. It's a hell of a process, right? Yeah. Oh my God. It's so expensive. Like I don't, I don't ever put anybody into that, but, um, but yeah, it's, uh, it's just something that basically just came out of necessity. Like I just, I just wasn't having, um, I use the halty a lot too. Mm -hmm. 
Um, and yeah, trust me, I, I spoke on this a couple of years ago at the IACP. So talk about feeling like walking into, you know, like, oh, Jay, I'm going to talk about retractable leashes. I'm like, dude, I know the pain, <laughs> you know, like, like I came in and talk about head halters, you know, but, but it wasn't necessarily about the head halter. It was just about tools and how to use them in a mm -hmm. gentle and effective way. And for me, that has just been the head halter you know, the design of the transitional leash just kind of came out of, you know, okay, well this works and this works and then just finding all the right pieces and whatnot and um, the manufacturing. So I ended up getting into manufacturing. So this is basically a whole nother side yeah. business where, I mean, I think last year, I think we made about $200,000 on leashes. Wow. So I mean, wow. it's, yeah, yeah, I know Wow. you're telling me. So mm. it's, uh, it is its own business and we sell worldwide, which is awesome. We were just picked up in, um, Shields, which is a, a store here in the U S which we're carrying, we're being carried nationally now. But it's uh, it's just a tool that I that I feel clients loved. Um, it resolved a lot of the issues where people who are struggling with either the gentle leader, um, which or the halty. If you're not familiar with them, not all head halters are created equal. You know, mm. just like not all equipment is is created equal. You know, you have your 100%. things that you really like. So I kind of wanted to develop something that worked really well for us. But it solved a lot of the things. Like I, when I talk about this, it's you know it's it's a tool that's hated on both sides. Yeah, you know, yeah. like the balance trainers hate it because it's for ninety year old women with Saint Bernards, and you know, and they don't really understand the the training aspect of it, not just the management side of it. And then the pure positive side, basically, they just say, um, you know, oh well, it's ruining Fleepy's head, and it's doing this, and it's pulling on the eyes. It's like, well, teach dog not to pull, you'll be fine. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, so it's uh, it kind of goes on both sides. But when I uh, designed this, um, the leash does come from the back of the head so like even like in pure positive crowds you know they're like oh it's amazing so even if the dog is walking out in front of you you're not turning the dog's head at all because the leash comes from the back of the head right so it solves a lot of that and then on the you know the balance side that's still that's almost more of a of a struggle most mm -hmm. days because it's you know anytime this comes up you know my name always gets brought into the conversation and I, I just get so tired of trying to defend it and usually most people are arguing against it they've never once even trained a dog on it yeah and I'm like well you're coming at me from theory. I can tell you, I have trained probably over 10,000 dogs on head halters, you know, whether it's a transitional or the halty or whatever's out there um, that we're using. So it's not theory to me, it's fact. And I've seen the results. I've seen how the dogs respond. I've seen how the clients enjoy the tool. I see how it creates a different mindset for the dog to be able to better understand the client and for the client to better understand the dog. And I'll tell you that tool in general has saved thousands upon thousands of lives because it's keeping dogs in homes because people can walk their dogs now they can do things with their dogs so um so yeah just kind there, of came out of necessity there's never not opposition to things though oh, like, absolutely. especially in this yeah. industry in dunbar was making a good point of that in his keynote speech when he said that you know a lot of people who are really mean to each other seems to be a large amount of dog trainers oh yeah um, which you know concurrently we've been seeing a lot of that movement yeah. happening around which it's got to stop yeah, you know, we've got to, and there's a lot of experts who are having opinions on things that they've never clapped their eyes on or laid their hands on. Absolutely. You know, they're calling things out that they have no institutional knowledge of whatsoever. Right. Well, and that's the same thing. I mean, when we talk about e-collars, you mm. know, like I, like e-collar is probably about 5% of my business, but I'm the chair of the legislative committee. Mm -hmm. So, because I know that these are, these are all tools that we need. These mm. are all, you know, and, and I am you know, I'm very effective with the e-collar. I love it. I love the tool. It's not just a punishment tool. It is a very effective tool that needs to be in our toolbox. And, you know, when you think about, you know, stuff like this, it's, it just, it just blows my mind because people who will argue and defend to the death about the e-collar say the same shit about 
The head hunter. The head hunter, yeah. And I'm just like, you know, when Jay, the beginning of his uh, his presentation was, you know, like the the line about this, about e-college, like how many did this piss off? And then, mm. you know, the next one was putting in, you know, retractable. And then everyone's yeah. like, yeah, skip that, you know. So it's, it's the same thing. It's just trying to get, you know, just people to understand that, hey, and I always tell people, I say, hey, if you have a tool, take your most hated tool or a tool that you don't understand and train five dogs on it. Mm. You know, is it the harness? Is it a head halter? Is it an e-collar? You know, train five dogs on it and then come back to me, you know, and effectively train five dogs on it, you know, keep an open mind. And that's all I ever ask anybody is just be open-minded, you know, anytime. Well, I think that's the only way to really remove bias is actually understand it from the other objective. Yeah, uh, and it's something, it's a skill set that I've had to maintain a few times because I've had biases on things had no real idea what I was talking about. And people have said, well, what's your experience with that? And until I've had an experience with that, whatever it may be, right. I thought to myself, well, yeah, you're right. I've, I've got nothing to, to draw on. Right. Oh, and I actually, I have some leashes for you guys. Oh, I pulled them out. I just grabbed, I forgot awesome. them in my room. So I'll get you that. And I have I to can't say, use that. I don't want to use that. <laughs> <laughs> right? I think they should be banned. I know, right? And that's, and that's what I'm saying. I'm like, hey, well, let's try this. And that's the thing, you know, and it's, if it's not for people, that's, that's not a problem. And, and this tool was, was designed, it's, it's a client-based tool. <laughs> can I train a dog on a prong collar, an e-collar, a slip chain, a piece of string? Yes, I can. But it's about what I can translate to the yeah, client and 100%. how effective it is, yeah, you know, exactly. and, mm. and where I find with the, with the e collar it's not the tool it's it's the story behind it so mm -hmm. like i find myself having to educate so much about the e-collar you know where it's a lot of my clients come in and and i can i put this tool on them and they find they're they have so much success with this that and we use e-collar as a secondary training session so they go through one of our other programs first so they understand kind of the the scheduling, the programming, you know, I, I had a lot of issues with people just wanting to throw money at me and, oh, train my dog. And yeah. then the, the follow through is horrible. So I find now with the, the precursor, with the foundation and then moving into the e-collar has been really, really effective. Um, but most people, they don't need it. Yeah. You know, mm -hmm. they don't need it. But of course that goes hand in hand with all of the programs that we offer. So we offer the off-leash socials with the clients. We do a handling class every week. So, so we have a lot of like follow-up type stuff. You know I mean? Basically I'm there for the life of the dog um, mm -hmm. once people have trained with us. And that's so. important. Absolutely. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I mean, that gives them a great transition the yeah. whole time. And then they've got no recourse to come back and say, well, it doesn't work and I yep. don't understand it. And I say, where were you? I, I'm here every Saturday and Sunday. Come see us. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know? if, if I could give any great advice to like people who were just out there training their own dog. I think it's two simple things. I mean, it it, is, it sounds really simple in theory and it mm -hmm. takes a lot of discipline in practice, but that is understand and know what you're doing yeah. and do a little bit of that every day. Absolutely. And I mean, if they did just those two things, yeah. it would make groundbreaking improvement on whatever you're doing. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, I think just to step back on uh, talking about that transitional lease and mm -hmm. how it's a client tool. Yeah. That for a long time, I was using a lot of slip leashes mm -hmm. and, and I knew it wasn't the best thing right. for what I the wanted to do. The timing is, it's. But, but I also yeah. knew it was what I could convince the people to use. Right. Yep. No opposition. Absolutely. And so like from my point of view, I remember sort of having a little bit of an epiphany where I know the right tool to use and what we're going to achieve really effectively yeah. is a prong collar. Like, and that's going to fix our, like within a few minutes, yeah. I can teach the dog about pressure using the prong collar and I can hand it over to the person they can really effectively do it. And tomorrow they're walking down the street. Yep. But then there's the issue of will they use it because mm -hmm. of public stigma and all that right. kind of stuff. Whereas yep. a slip and, leash, and you have to consider mm. that, you know, I mean, yeah. that's the thing where it's like with this tool, you know, when I, when I can effectively show somebody how it's used, you know, on a trainer and they go and they try it out and, you know, and there is, there is hesitation with it because it's something new. And mm -hmm. I think one of the big misconceptions is just because we know things about dogs and we spend a lot of time around dogs. 
I very fully admit there's a lot about dogs that I do not understand. I'm not an expert in, but in this one Amen. realm, there's so I'm, much to learn. Yeah, I'm an, I'm an expert in this realm. You know, I have I have my 10,000 hours in dealing with this, and so it's uh, it's just handing this leash to somebody, and you know, like if they don't get it the first time, because it does, it really takes good timing, and you know, at least to get effective with this particular tool, you know, and even changing muscle memory. You know, I deal with a lot of trainers that come in, and they uh, their muscle memory is very difficult to deal with. You yep. know, like just the way they're using the tools, the way that they're um, used to like holding their hands or holding the leash. And I said, well, for this tool to be effective, I want you to do it this way. And it's really hard to kind of break some of those habits. So it's really interesting to see people try to pick up something new, you know, and, uh, and think that they're going to be really good at it because they train dogs. And the frustration is, is kind of, it's kind of cute, <laughs> <laughs> but the people that kind of work through it and figure it out, you know, I mean, they, that's all I hear. That's all the feedback I get is, is very, very positive, you know, and, and I'm willing to hold people's hands through that process to say, Hey, try it out. And if you're willing, I'm, I'll help you a thousand percent to, to figure out if this is going to be a good tool for you, for the client, mm-hmm. um, in particular. And sometimes maybe it's just a tool that you use one time out of a hundred, where you go, yeah, this is going to be the best tool for this dog and for this client. And that's fine. You know, mm-hmm. it's totally fine, but it's good to have something additional in your toolbox, you know, and especially with a lot of the stigma with the e-collar, the prong yeah. collar, you know, you may have somebody who just says, I really want help with my dog, but I, I just, I'm just not comfortable with those tools. So yeah. this is one of those that really transitions. Yep. <laughs> See and what I did there, <laughs> you know, through that. So, but you're yeah. spot on. I think that's why it behoves all of us to, to have at least a decent understanding of all tools mm-hmm. so that you're, the one that is, you know, to be the best one for the situation yeah. may not actually be. It might be right. the the one that is not what you're so expert in, but mm-hmm. is the one they're going to use. Right, and that's and that's has to be what what they're doing. I mean, if they're if you hand them an e collar and the dog's perfect on it, but they're never going to touch the button, yeah, there's no point, you know. So you need to hand them something that they're willing to utilize and something yeah. that. They have to, I know this sounds kind of cheesy, but they have to emotionally bond to the tool Mm -hmm. to be able to use it, you know, Mm -hmm. and if they don't feel good about it, it's going to be very difficult for them to feel good about using it on their dog. Yeah, I agree with that 100%. That's an interesting thing to say that you bond with the tool because I always explain to people that this is just a means of communication between you and your dog. Absolutely. That is the purpose of it. Like Mm -hmm. this is not, you shouldn't think of this as a physical barrier. Like if we're going to just like back to our dog, no Mm -hmm. worries, it's a physical barrier. But if you're in training and you've got a collar run, it's some sort of collar or whatever mm-hmm. connected to a line that is how you're going to yeah. that is a means of communication with your dog and you have mm-hmm. to think about it that way and i like what you say about bonding with the tool and getting to know yeah. it we obsess over that uh with the e-collar and that like if you can't this is my army background right <laughs> but if you can't turn it on get it going turn it off change levels all that in the dark yeah. just knowing it from your dolls you shouldn't be using it on your dog right, right? because yeah. that's like it takes you 20 minutes just here on the table to get that shit going right. well and the unfortunate part of the of that tool is that if people are training with it or they train with a trainer with it but they're afraid to use it the only time they're going to use it is when they're frustrated yeah mm. yep. you know what i mean like that's the only time that they're going to actually push that button yeah is That's not true. necessarily in that communication form is the only time they're going to push that button is when they're really mad, mm-hmm, you yep. know, or frustrated and they want to stop it right now. Yeah. You know, so it's, it's the, you have to make them dog trainers, yeah. you know, to fully understand and comprehend the tools. So that's the, you know, that's the simplicity of the transitional leash is I don't need to make anybody a dog trainer. Mm-hmm. I just need to give them, Hey, pressure on pressure off. This is how it works. Mm-hmm. This is the mindset we're looking for, you know, and, and it does transcend across all tools, but the, the block that comes with, 
you know, with the e-collar is one that, that is, that is really tricky to navigate, you know, mm. and, and I have a lot of good analogies and things like this, but you know, sometimes it's like I said, I mean, the only time that they want to push that button is when they're frustrated. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it's going to be a nice day in the future when we're not so combative over the use of tools, mm -hmm. but more focused on the improvement of the lifestyle of the dog. Absolutely. I think that's a that's a day that I'm looking forward to a reckoning. And hopefully that's in the future at some mm -hmm. stage where we're doing less fighting over the tools. I'd say it's probably highly ambitious, but I think it's a goal that we can still work towards because it's... Yeah. Uh, you know, I think with every single person we've had in here over the last few days, it has come up in one way or another that the only measure of effectiveness in training is behavior. Yeah. And results. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And results. Yeah. That's yeah. it. And, and Ian Dunbar said that Roger Abrantes has said that yep. uh, Larry Croner said that Jay Jack has said that like mm -hmm. they're all it's results based. Yeah. Right? And part of the result is the attitude of the dog. Yep. If the dog, right. if the dog is living his best life, doesn't matter whether there's he's, no, there's whether, an ill argument. Yeah, yeah. What doesn't matter whether he's got chainsaw arms, like right. made from <laughs> evil dead, if he's living his best life and he's happy doing it, that's what he needs. Right. Well, and I think that's sometimes where the block comes in for trainers sometimes is because we see, you know, maybe the best life for that dog is going to be with this tool, but that's the disconnect with the client. Yeah. You know, so mm -hmm. that's where, you know, that's where this, this leash and the design kind of came into play where it was like, yeah, this is something that it was easy to get clients on board with. It's just a piece of rope. And then, <laughs> so it starts as a halty and then you transition to the being a transitional leash to a slip lead and it's the one tool, like you just unclip it. Yeah. It yeah. Back yeah. I'll, I'll give you a demo today, but yeah, it's actually, it's really simple and, and it's really nice. I mean, even just for training, like just mm. to have on as a slip lead in the home, you know, when you're kind of, you know, either a young dog or a dog that needs some structure and rules, you know, you can have the slip lead on in the home and then the um, the head halter just kind of slides right out and goes over their face and it works out, uh, works out pretty well. I mean, it takes a little conditioning, but it's, uh, you know, once, once a dog understands what it is, it, it really helps to, um, really create a good mindset for them. You know, probably stuff you would hate because it unwinds a lot of the anxiety <laughs> and, and that kind of stuff. But it's, but you know what, honestly, I have, um, some really high end, um, you know, sport, type trainers that utilize it because what it can actually create is a calm mind yeah. where the dog can be calm immediately before competition, you know, instead of losing their shit the whole time, you know, like even dock diving, I have a lot, a lot of people that do dock diving where it's like, if you've ever been to one, there's just, you know, a line of dogs or fly ball, um, even sheep herding where the dogs cannot be calm, you know, on the side so that by the time they actually go out to do what they're supposed to do, they're burnt, mm. you know, I mean, obviously you have a really high drive dog, it's not going to happen, but, um, but still, I mean, I, I want to teach that, Hey, save that energy for your sport or mm -hmm. for your work. I don't want you to waste it previous to that. So once I start talking to more, um, sport dog people and, um, and I, there are a couple of names I could throw out there that are utilizing this tool to just really make that more effective in their training yeah. so that the dog can be calm before the competition and that they can take them out and really have a very successful um, competition. So. Yeah, that's a big part of anything mm -hmm. is that controlling arousal level. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It's funny, we, on the podcast and in what I teach, I always tell people never reinforce the dog in position with food, right? right. Like in the healing, I say <laughs> that you shouldn't be reinforcing as you go. Right because there's lots of reasons, right? right? And then we had a bunch of people at training recently mm -hmm. and I was doing it. I was feeding my dog in the, in the healing, <laughs> do as I say, around. not as I do. Yeah. And they're like, but you like, I just listened to a podcast where you said that. And I said, yeah, I don't do it because it brings a dog down, makes him a bit flatter. Right. right. And I'm trying to bring my dog down. I'm trying to make him a right. bit flatter. Yeah. And so I have this, loads of tools in my bank. I can, yep. I can do that. But mm -hmm. what I know for sure works yeah. is if he's busy eating, he's not biting a decoy. Right. right. And so, but <laughs> like your it's, trick. 
Yeah. Yeah, but it's no in this moment, where do I want my dog's arousal level? Right. And you do the right thing to yep. get that arousal level there. Now I prefer most of the time to be extreme, go crazy right. arousal. Yeah. But then sometimes that's that doesn't serve what my need my dog to learn in that moment right. or whatever. You're on so mindset, not on position. Yeah, right. that's right. Yeah. That's and that's the that's thing. the goal with um I mean with most of this stuff too, you know. I mean that's definitely the goal with the transitional leash is it is all about mindset. Yeah. Um, you know, and and creating the better relationship with the client because mm. it really is that effective that it, it will do that in one session. You know, and it gains respect, which is usually most people are, um, you know, they have the the trust side of things, but the respect is lacking. So that's kind of where this tool helps to kind of rebuild that relationship. Any training will do that. But in my experience, I mean, I've been doing this over 20 something years now. And in my experience, if I could find a, a better tool that was highly, you know, as translatable and as simple for the client, I will change to it. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like I'll drop my leash business and be like, Hey, this tool is better, you know, but it's just what I've found to be the most effective for clients. Uh, I simple. think any good dog trainer around the world yeah. would agree with that, Heather. I mm-hmm. think that any time that somebody could show you an improved system yeah. that's going to communicate better with the animal and gain better long-term results. Yeah if you're worth your salt in anything, you drop what you're doing and yep. immediately go over to yeah. it. Yeah, right. absolutely. And that's exactly what we've been talking about. That's results-based. Yeah, results-based. Yeah. Yeah. I'm only interested in, yeah. in doing this well and I don't right. care about the technique because my ethics is totally taken mm-hmm. care of in that attitude is one of the most key criteria of the the, absolutely. the picture I'm going for. And you've mm-hmm. named it many times where you said all you're interested in is the dog living its best life. Yeah, yeah. that's right. And so yeah. I never have to worry about the ethics of a tool because right. if they're if through the process the dog looks great, he doesn't lie about that. So right. that's taken care yeah. of. Well, that's what Roger Brandy says, right? You can't argue with a fact. Yeah. God, I right. love that. Yeah, we're An sitting down with him behavior. at dinner. It yeah. was like, it was just, it was so interesting talking with him and just getting to you know, just hear that because, you know, we talk a lot about, I mean, just this, this controversy obviously around the e-collar and our tools is it is really, that's the deal is that, you know, Mm -hmm. people are putting out all these articles so negative about it. And then like in their reference, they'll just reference another article. Yeah, Like it's never to a study, you know? So he has, he was talking about one. Exactly. Somebody's somebody's jumped up. Yeah. But it looks like it's sources and it's like, no, this is not a study. This is nothing. So it's, it's just so interesting how easy it is to manipulate the mind based on emotion yeah well know? the problem the reason they can't show studies is because the studies don't show there's no fact around, around it there's, well, no he, fact. there's plenty of studies right. but they don't show yes, what they are exactly. saying exactly yeah, yeah what they want and to. when they do show what they say they're shadowed into oblivion because they don't right. want you to see them right yeah. Mm. yeah yeah hopefully pat and i'll be on top of that here soon so yeah yeah legislative committee yeah fantastic we're working well on, we're working pretty hard we're doing we're, yeah. we're trying what we can it's tough that's what i found about that a little bit overwhelming i can mm-hmm. imagine you in that chair position but um you know say in this just here in America, 52 different states, different right. legislation. Um, and there's um, there's 12 of us on the committee. So then there's just me. There's, yeah. I'm the only one outside of the, right. the states. So like just trying to even stay aware of aware of what's going on, yeah. let alone be involved in trying to influence that. Right. Well, it's, it a is, it's, it's a lot of like putting out fires, you know, I mean, that's all I get is, you know, emails like this is happening tomorrow. And I'm like, yeah, okay. Well, I, you know, and that's kind of why we did set up that watchdog committee too, yeah. or watchdog program is because we want people all over the world to just be like, Hey, we need more eyes, you yeah. know, we need more eyes to see what's happening and how we can help, you know, because we're, and if we're aware we can do things, yeah. you know, but if it's last minute, I mean that we are all volunteers, you know, yeah. we're all in different time zones. We're all, you know, running our own businesses, you know, we're all busy. So it's hard to, 
be on top of that. But, you know, if we had more eyes and ears out there that could really help us, you know, we can help, yeah. but it's well, it is daunting. And people have to acknowledge that it's still up to them to, right. to do the, the work. It's what we can yep. provide them is some resources to, yep. to get it done yes. as, yeah. as quickly and effectively as possible. Yeah. And I think you know, we can't talk about too much of it, but we are working on a, a thing that yeah. will be a giant resource for yes. everybody around the world to use in any sort of any sort of legislative attempt to ban yeah. tools. Yep. Hopefully, once we get this resource going, it should be something that anybody can draw in and say, "Hey, here's, yeah. here's this." That's yeah, it's amazing. A, it's a big project. I'm yeah, excited that's for cool. it. I'm really mm-hmm. really happy to hear that, and I think yeah. thousands of other people would be too. Yeah. And I think what it also needs is affirmative action and educated action as well. Mm-hmm. So when people, as you said, they've got a giant resource to pull from. So rather than getting emotional about it and putting out content on social media that's inaccurate and I said emotive based as well, then it comes around to discredit. Know, yeah, discredit. yeah. Mm-hmm. discredit is probably a better word to use. Yeah, it just discredits the hard work people are trying to do. So I think if we're all drawing from the same well and we've got facts, then we've got a better argument to present mm-hmm. because there's a lot of time I've read articles and it's just people getting upset about it and saying it's not fair, which politicians and governments don't care about. Right. They really don't care about it. They care about it when it's A, it's a fact, and B, it can impact their position. Yeah. They're the right. two times. Which hopefully we're about to provide a resource that is awesome. exactly that. Fantastic. Yeah. Hopefully. Thank you. Hey, we better wrap it up because we're going to go to this AGM. I know. I how, can't wait. Tell people how they can get in contact with you um, if you want them to. Yeah. I don't know. I, t- I talked to some things that maybe I don't want people to. Um, <laughs> well, everybody can always find me. Um, just search caninelifeline.net. Uh, That's our, our normal website. And then uh, Facebook. I'm super readily available by Facebook. People can always send me a message. So I don't think I can take any more friends, though. Right. I, I lose friends Ooh, every day, but so I'm, I'm right at that. So no, popular. I hate it. So no, I thought it was going to be awesome because I'm like, yeah, you never have to accept a friend request. But then people like, I feel quit so privileged. You. We're friends. I know people. Oh, people on. quit you every day, and so like then it's down to like four thousand nine hundred ninety nine. I'm like, oh, I can add a new one. Like I actually, I actually ditched like twenty people right before the IACB conference because so I knew, yeah, so day. I knew that would happen. But I, w- I was hoping it would cap off, but it doesn't. It just keeps going up and down. Drives me crazy. So, but yeah, Facebook's really an easy way to get a hold of me. But I'm, I love chatting with people. I love helping people out. Um, people have questions about the leash or business i'm i'm available so groovy yeah. thanks for doing it Thank thanks you, for having me guys i'm i'm feeling more awake now <laughs> <laughs> all right well that's it for another episode of the canine paradigm as always if you like what you hear please like rate share subscribe do that through whatever subscription service you download us from if you want to support the show the best way to do that is via patreon three bucks a month gets you access to an extra educational episode 10 bucks a live q a on that episode and if you wanted to buy us a, a like a yacht that would be great too. A yacht today. Yeah, a yacht. Geez, we're um, adding to the <laughs> <measure> of equipment. <laughs> <laughs> and the best way to get in contact with us is via email. We are info at the canineparadigm.com. Glenn, music.